There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, here we go again. I want to go back to the first time. The first time you and I met. You remember the first time, don't you? That lovely moonlit night, the rose. Oh no, hold on, wrong conversation. Look back to the beginning. I told you then, football people I admire, football people I like listening to, football people who I want to tell me stories that I'm curious about. But I also said, people who make me laugh. And for that reason, here's Kevin. Why Kevin Bridges? Well, it's like this. We timed the issue of this podcast to be around the Champions League final in Berlin between Juventus and Barcelona. Kevin and I met in Barcelona. He's a real Barcelona fanatic. The city, the lifestyle, but also the football club. He made his debut at a Clásico with me in the 5-0 game when Jose Mourinho was also in his debut as a Clásico manager for Real Madrid. Since then, we've been to many Clásicos and I don't think Kevin has seen the team he supports, Barcelona, lose one yet. So the concept was to begin him to talk about the Blaugrana and try and explain his passion for them. What happened next, of course, was he turns out to be somebody who's played for Jose Mourinho, somebody who was kicked out of school for going to watch Celtic play in Sevilla against Porto, managed by Jose Mourinho. Kevin also turns out to be somebody who has scored a worldy, a world-class goal past Edwin van der Sar, then taken grief off van der Sar for doing so and giving it back in this podcast too. Kevin explains to us just exactly how he got to stain Henrik Larsson's trousers. He explains about an accusation he and his dad make to Alex Ferguson about Fergie headbutting a Celtic player. It can't be true, can it? Kev tells that story too. There's more in there. His fascination for Argentinian football, his trip to watch River Plate play Boca Juniors, his need to go back for San Lorenzo, stories about Sevilla getting there, the adventures he gets up to, all the Jose Mourinho anecdotes you could ever wish. This is a brilliant comic artist, a, ma- a magical stand-up, brilliant storyteller, somebody who's about to embark on a huge record-breaking um, European tour in the winter and autumn. I will be there. This is your chance to hear him in action when what he's doing is talking about his second passion after comedy, which is football. You're going to enjoy this, believe me. See you at the other side. Football, right. it's a funny old game saint. Um, one thing that unites us is that we're both sort of really excited about football. Football makes us happy. And one thing that I've never asked you, but I want to know is, what about Spanish football? What made you excited about Spanish football? How did you discover it? What made your regard for Barcelona be so high, which is where we met? Why Barcelona and its football? And from when, from what age? I love Barcelona. And I probably getting Sky in the house in 1996 or 97 something like that and uh, Spanish football was always on in the Sunday nights 
and me and my dad would watch it. And I, I never had an English team, mm-hmm. which is people find quite strange. And maybe a bit of a soft spot for like Man United with the Celtic Man U connection, but I never really embraced an English club. But watching the Spanish games, I used to love Ronaldo, original mm. Ronaldo. I don't agree with people calling him Fat Ronaldo. How disrespectful is that? It's there's crap. It's, um, it's Fat Ronaldo. That's, that's an accepted term. There's Ronaldo and there's Cristiano Ronaldo. We should make that clear. Nicely done. So Ronaldo, I loved watching the guy, the speedium, the first time you'd ever seen him to try a step over. And then I loved watching that team. So at that stage, when you were watching him, he's at Barcelona. He was at Barca, aye, this would be 95. In, from 96, 97, he played in that Bobby Robson team. And, you know, I remember I hadn't been working in Spanish. And I was doing what you, I was doing exactly what you were doing. I was living in Britain and I was turning on this guy and going, I can't believe what I see. And I remember Ronaldo doing things I'd literally never seen him. I was probably nine or ten, so you're, you're too young to appreciate maybe yeah. an Iniesta or a Xavi role. But he was just a guy who scored every single week step overs. I think his boots were even like white. This is back when black boots were kind of regimentally enforced, so mm-hmm. it was a guy with different colour of boots on. And uh, amazing to watch. After Ronaldo, obviously, there was Rivaldo, mm-hmm. and then Barca just always seemed to have a guy that was you'd get his name in the back of your shirt. I remember buying the fake, well, my mum and dad getting me the fake Barca strips on holiday with the name on the back, and then Ronaldinho. And just again, st- my dad was always, you'll probably not admit this these days, but he used to love Real Madrid, so me and him would have a bit of an internal domestic rivalry, Barca Madrid. I think he loved them for like the De Stefano years. He grew up watching guys like that. But then, I think you seen how much I really took to Barca and started to read about their story, about how they represented the Catalan people. I don't know, it was probably the only history that I actually mm. stuck in it at school, mm. reading that sort of stuff. That's always so, appealed to Scots, doesn't it? The, the I, I don't Catalans know why I was, against the... even so young, I was just interested in that story, because I'd seen banners saying, Catalonia is not Spain. And I'm going, well, Barcelona is Spain, mm. what are they talking about? Mm. And then you'd start reading behind that and then just go, right, this club, I've got a bit of a sort of identity. And so I'd maybe be 12 or 13 when I sort of took that side of it as well. You were I, into I filled my da- just to mention my dad's since he's a, he's a bar, he's a, he's a coolie these days, he's bought an it. But I was going to mention your dad because having met your dad, I understand now why you feel what you feel about football because he's got a terrific eye for football. And I bet it must have been a lot of fun watching Barcelona or Real Madrid, whoever, Spanish football with him. Because he understands it and he's passionate about it and he loves, I think he loves quality. Aye, he watches any game, any night you go in, as long as my mom's keeping herself occupied, the telly will be on, will be watching something, any sort of game at all. What amazed me, right, was um, I'd done a, a gig for Manchester United, it was Alex Ferguson's 25th anniversary dinner, and uh, he'd asked if I would come on and do like, a stand-up set. So obviously I said to my mum and dad, look, he's want to come down to Manchester for this gig and arranged it so my dad could meet Fergie. My dad said that, he, he said, Fergie reminds my dad a lot of his, his own dad, like my granda John. Really? Kind of old school Glasgow uh-huh. ship worker sort of thing. And uh, so I introduced the two of them. Look, Fergie had come over to thank me for coming down to the, I'm just going, I can't even believe he's even talking to me, mate, but mm. this is my dad. The two of them sort of, they had to off straight away. My dad pulled him up for he'd button Bobby Murdoch. <laughs> right away, I think Fergie was laughing because there's no like facade or with Alex Ferguson. Like, he's still very much govern guy, and I think he loved a bit of that. Like my dad gave him a bit of grief right away. So the two of them began to talk about juniors. My dad was saying he used to go and watch the Toker Hibs juniors. And then Fergie's going, oh, they had a great left half or whatever. No, the old guy positions, left, inside right or whatever they're calling it. And he's going, and what was his name? And my dad said the name. Then Fergie's going, and then he went to East Fife, didn't he? And then, who was the goalkeeper? And the two of them are just like, Ferguson's PAs trying to drag him away to go and like, start the event. But he's too busy going, that's going to annoy me the whole night now. What was his name? <laughs> You're just going, it's amazing 
to see him bringing his football right back to that level and, and for just how long ago it was as well, considering the guys coached Rooney, Ronaldo, Van Nistelrooy, all these David Beckham superstars, and to see how much he'd moved on with the game. And I think my dad's very much like that. He admires modern football. He's into reading about Guardiola and Mourinho mm. and what sports science tactics, how the game's evolved itself. So he's he's not one of these, oh, back in my day, it was much better, guys. He's, you touched on a thing yesterday, because yesterday we sat down for a great length with Gordon Strachan, and Gordon was a player who could... Who, 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 I think if you transferred him from how he played at Aberdeen um, into the bus, and I said he'd fit, you know, he, it would work. And he went, you know, modern football is unbelievable, modern football. And I said, why? And he said, to be able to do these creative, he didn't talk about fitness, he didn't talk about how dedicated the players are, or and he touched on changes of rules so that you don't get your legs broken all the time. Now, he went, they're, they're better, they're more creative, they do things that I could not have imagined in his days playing for Alex Ferguson. I was really shocked by that because. I look back and I think, you know, that he's going to tell me that Jimmy Johnson and, you know, Dennis Law and De Stefan or whatever, none of that. He thinks we are watching, you know, like your dad thinks about Iniesta and Charlie. Maybe it explains why we're both fascinated with what we're seeing in Spain. He thinks we're seeing the elite of all time. It's Anton's going to evolve over time. I said that to my dad, like, would the modern day Celtic team beat the Lisbon Lions? Obviously, no, the new, because. Lisbon Lions would be a few players short, etc. <laughs> but I just mean in, in their peak, would they beat? And he was saying probably, he said that. Mm. He was the same thing as Strachan. Although my dad was more about the fitness and stuff, but that's yeah. interesting saying the game itself. He, when you watch clips, like you watch Sky Sports classic games, it does seem much slower. The, the tempo is much. Like the guy will get the ball, he'll touch it three or four times, and then he'll move it on. Whereas now it's Everton's one, two touch, and the triangles, and it's, it's much faster anyway. Well, when you go then, like, because you go a lot to see Spanish football. And one of the games that, you know, we'd shared was the 5-0 classical. And I think that, you know, I would argue that I, I, I prefer, if you start to talk about all-time games, I'd prefer games when both teams are in it and maybe you get a dramatic late winner or however you want to write your narrative. But most people agree that that's the purest exhibition of skill I've ever seen. I, I've always preferred a, a close game. I, mm. But that was... What was that experience was like? That game, I'm talking I, about the game. It was like, wasn't it? Yeah. Walking into the game, it was Mourinho's, was it Mourinho's first classical? It was. So you're going in just going, right, well, Barca were obviously incredible the year before, mm -hmm. but just going, Mourinho sussed them at, this will be a lot closer, this will be... I never thought Madrid would be as negative. They went for it a bit, didn't they, initially? There was a little bit of toe-to-toe, -to -toe, yeah. I think you realised, player for player, you can't be sitting back and you've got Ronaldo and all these guys playing as well, so I think they kind of went for it and then it just became, it was quite... It's just surreal to watch, but you're just used to watching Barca win. Watching them win 5 0 is nothing extraordinary. But that was against Madrid but that night. That going, was... Look at the players on the park here. Yeah. And Mourinho was managing them. I think Madrid sort of retreated a bit, and then it just became. They went back into sort of negative tactics, and it just became a kind of landslide. Man. It, was, and it was quite surreal looking at the scoreboard, seeing Barca won a 5, Real Madrid 0. Good to be part or good to witness? Aye, it was amazing. It was my first ever classical. So you're not expecting anything like that, you're not... I didn't realise that. Aye, I think I told you that that night, but... Oh yeah, well, I, you know how much yeah. I pay attention. <laughs> and, but you'd, you, football had always, you mentioned Celtic as soon as we started talking, football had always been really important to you, real passionate, it had been life-changing, I suppose, getting to Parkhead, getting the tickets, being allowed in the supporters' buses, it, it's something that just takes over your, your life and how you think about life. Aye, you just, I grew up in that, obviously that's what... Father and son thing, your dad taking you to the game, so I write a passage. I think it took me, my first ever game was probably, I think it was Celtic Aberdeen, I remember it being a draw at Celtic Park. It would be. I think John Collins scored a free kick. All right. And then he took me again on the Wednesday, 
the Wednesday night game, it was Celtic Dundee, and we sat in the main stand. And Jim Duffy scored for Dundee. And I remember we missed a Paul McStay goal, because we were at the pie stall or whatever. I dragged my dad down for a, <laughs> a quenchy cup or something like that. So they were the first, and I was probably just too young then to really take in anything other than been amazed at the stadium and the floodlights. And That's what I was going to ask you. Do you remember your first impressions? Because I remember the first time I went to Pidhodri and the things that I remember forever is, is pipe tobacco. All the farmers in the main stand are <laughs> in the smells. The, the smells. <laughs> you know, and the burger vans, I the chips and curry sauce smell and the, see the generators with the burger vans, that noise. If I hear that noise, I know I'm at a football ground. Aye, and the hat, scarves, badge and the tape. Skin. I always used to wonder what the last item was. The <laughs> uh, yeah, your hat, scarves, badge and the tape. <laughs> Tapes, that is, cassettes, you should have said to enunciate it. <laughs> Terrible marketing. Hats, Macaroon bars. Your cassettes. My dad, he took me to Clyde Bank a few times as well, Kilbury Park, to see the bankies. Remember their front three, Ken Eady, Craig Flanagan, John Henry. That mm -hmm. was just Messi, Neymar, Suarez, uh, Kilbury Park. What was the park like then? I've been there with the dandies as a supporter once, and one end was, was like all glassed off, or...? That's right, aye, the main stand was like that. Like the Bombonera. <laughs> well, <Can I? laughs> noisier than that, obviously. More passionate aye, than the Bombonera. That's a, that's a weird stadium, the bottom. It's got the... Kobawi Park was like a, a sort of admin side. Looked at office blocks, and then it, opposite that was the bucket seat. Yeah. Behind both goals were just about a terrace, I think. Aye. I'm pretty sure I'm trying to picture it. But I remember going to the game and just... Even my dad seemed a bit more relaxed. Mm. But at the Celtic game... My dad was stressed out his mind and everybody just shouting and it just seemed as if it meant a bit. There was merit at stake. That, that kind of drew me in, like how much these people cared or how much they'd lose. Admittedly, Celtic were probably at their worst they'd been in a while, that mid-90s sort of team. But at that stage, it was expensive and difficult. It was difficult. You had to work to get to the games or work to persuade your parents to get you you know, tickets or season ticket or to be allowed in the supporters bus. Well, that was it. Well, a few years later, I'd always see my dad going to the games and John going to the games. And I'd be going round, my mum was a home help, so I'd be like Saturdays, I'd meet to go round with her. And she went to her, every time I say clients, it just reminds me of school. My mum's a home help when you're going, she was at one of her clients, and it just sounds ominous. But you wanted to be at the game or on the I bus? I'd always or? get a hard time, I'm trying to think what you'd, or old, the old people she went to see, you know what I mean? You can't say my mum's clients, I just the think it like, Nah, let's not go I, there. Let's I, just, I, Richard Pryor or whatever, <laughs> that was more his thing. So I go to my mum's older people, or whatever you call them. Anyway, we'll scrap that bit. Aye, Saturdays would just go in. I would have to go to these old folks' house. My mum would make them their dinner and I'd stand just wishing I was going to the game. And then there was even one of the old women she went to see. Her house was right behind the Golden Hill pub in Hargate where the bus left. So that was particularly tough because you'd need to see them all getting on, just going, when can I go to the games? But my mum would always go on either. It was the new parkade, so it wasn't as easy as just getting up to the game. You had to actually buy a ticket or and then there was a waiting list for a season ticket. So at the end of primary seven, my dad came over to pick me up one day for school and he had two season tickets in the glove compartment. He had a letter, in fact, addressed to me and he said, you get a letter through. I'd never received a letter in my life, so I opened it and it was a season ticket. So the first season I had a season ticket was in 97-98 season when Celtic stopped the 10 in a row. So my brother... Is that the Vim Janssen year? Aye. Oof. My brother had been through the whole nine years of Rangers <laughs> dominance and I rocked up right at the end one season. Won, won the league in my first season. Who's your best player then? I mean, yours, not Celtic. Well, that was early Who's Henry Larson when it was Larson's was first right? season. So, was, was Vim Janssen responsible for recommending Larson? Or, uh, no, Janssen. He'd come from Feyenoord, hadn't he? Uh, Janssen bought Larson. 650,000, something crazy anyway. Was that, he'd fallen out with Feyenoord. Aye. Tribunal, you can't, you can't believe it now, can uh, you? 
can remember my dad, that was his, he goes, uh, my uncle George to say they were signing some guy, Larson. Uh, my dad recognised the picture of him Seriously? for the USC 94 World yeah, Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Larson, I don't know if he had, didn't he have a great tournament or something. There were, if you remember, we, I was at that tournament, they were a really functional team and they were tall and athletic. The and he ran around massively, his hair was long and mentally, and maybe like it was. They finished third, you know, so they won the it, third, fourth playoff. Maybe my dad paints it as he had a worse tournament than he did, because older guys, my dad's got a sort of built-in resistance to anybody with a flamboyant haircut. So maybe that went against his USA 94 appraisal. <laughs> but my dad's words were, Larson, is that that wee diddy for Sweden? <laughs> that was his wee diddy for Sweden, that's what he... I don't know if you remember Larson's debut, he came on against Hibs at Easter Road yeah, yeah. and it was his slack pass that put Chick Charnley through and goal. Charnley scored, yeah. Larson was at fault. And then we played Dynamo Batumi. Get out of here in Georgia. No, it was obviously the two legs. I was in Georgia. I was when I went to that game. Did you go to that game? I was in, and they just tried to blow up Shevardnadze's car and there'd been a cholera outbreak and I'd signed off and I thought, well, I'm never coming back from this one. Batumi? Yeah, it was, it was beautiful. Rough, eh? Geographically, it's shaped like Monte Carlo. Right. And it comes down to a big, open, wide, horseshoe sort of coastline bay. And it's a step down all the way there, except everything was then falling down. There was oxen walking in the street. There were people sitting there. I remember Fergus McCann getting really people who aren't doing anything with no purpose in life. And look at all these people <laughs> sitting around and uh, they could be working in my burger bars and stuff like that. I was like, there's a... It's like a I mean, Fergus McCann impression got, It just came from nowhere. <laughs> I, was, I was born and brought up in Croy. This is the thing, just like he was. Hi, Fergus. Listen, I'm not... We were held up. The, whole, the team, and me more importantly, we were hijacked on the runway of the airport that night. They wouldn't let us out. Militia came up with guns. We're sitting on the plane with the team. And I'm like, let's get the hell out of Batumi. And the late Ian Archer pinched a beer glass from a bar. So there'd already been an incident with the gendarmes of Batumi. And this militia sort of came out there. It should have been pitchforks and lit and torches. And it wasn't, it was guns. I can't do the George accent. There's an unpaid phone bill here. Somebody's not paid the... F- right, right. They've run up a phone bill of $20,000. And you're like, oh, is that right? And, said, and you're not leaving here. And then it's luxury, there's an armed band. And Jock, what's his name, was the general manager? Uh, Jock Brown. Jock Brown. And McCann was on the flight. And then they had to negotiate. And my memory is that Celtic went... How did Fergus go on negotiating they, the they, bill? They, they paid their way out of our... We paid to get out of, that, out of that country. Aye, it was, it, was a, it was an interesting experience. It's not Aye. what I signed up for when I became Aye. a football journalist. Thought, it put me Aye. off ever travelling to Batumi again. <laughs> well, anyway, in the home leg, Larson scored an own goal. I think that was his second game. So he'd... Chick Charnley, they'd set him up for that goal and scored their own goal. So my dad was, he's wee daddy for Sweden, I was dying. I called it, son. And then obviously the next <laughs> okay. seven years reversed that. What did you think of Larson, apart from the obvious and the goals? <laughs> so you... thought he was alright, aye. <laughs> uh, no, it was the best I've ever seen. I asked because yeah, I was leaving to go to London two weeks after he signed or three weeks after he signed. So we interviewed him and I didn't really see him again until he moved to Barcelona. So I didn't live in Scotland um, for all the time that he was King of Kings. And I was shocked that he took the camp now by storm and yeah. even in the days of Ronaldinho or whatever when he left the bus on a pitch as a, coming off as a substitute when he came on as a substitute nobody Eto, Rivaldo when I'd been there Ronaldinho nobody got a throatier bigger roar of not just you're good we love you we believe in you it's Henrik Larson who played a bit part at Barcelona the level of affection for him was just out of and I'm asking about it was a horrible, that day he left, I think it was Dundee United, the last game, and they'd done the lap of honour, projectile tears. <laughs> I, like, I remember it just, 
See that wee, <laughs> see that wee emoji, <laughs> wee emoticon guy that you type when, when, you're, when you're they're laughing, the wee yellow guy with the blue tears. <laughs> like that, except for no uh, laughter, it was brutal. It was a, a deep sense of loss about that day, that his last game. It is physically and emotionally painful when you lose somebody that important to you but from a football club. he could have played anywhere, I don't think anybody was... No Celtic fan was surprised when Larson on to like, have a pivotal performance, come off the bench in the Champions League. And he set up Belletti, didn't he? At Paris, yeah. Even was Henri came out at the end and said, and he played for Arsenal in the final, obviously, but he said, tonight I've never seen Ronaldinho, I've never seen Deco, I've never seen Eto'o. I've only seen one man make a difference, and that was Henrik Larson. An iconic figure, and because he could have went to any club, but he stayed with us for seven years, and you're never going to see that again. A guy who's going to come to Celtic and play even one season anywhere near the level, or Henrik Larson, he'll be off to fucking West Brom or somewhere like that. Because of, the, because of money? Because of the money, aye, but Larson could I'd imagine he was still getting weighed. Celtic could have paid a lot higher back then, but... But they also incentivised him to stay. They he could easily a, have moved on for... They put a golden goodbye at the end of the contract, which is why he stayed, and it was very you know, it was lucrative for him to stay, but... Don't say that, Graham. Now you're through your pain. Don't need to hear that. No, seriously, now you're true? through your pain. <laughs> no, but I like to think... Could, should he have left earlier? Right, I'm, not, I'm asking you... For his own football No, not, not on Henrik Larson's behalf. You've got a football appreciation and brain and appetite that's beyond being a Celtic fan. From Broncos was always telling him, not just come here, come here, come here. Go, you should be somewhere else. What, retrospectively, how, do, you, do you still think he made the right choice? When you look at that Seville year, when mm. we got to the final against Porto, mm. Larson's performance that night. It's off the scale, isn't it? So his ambitions, I don't think anybody can question that. that he, oh, you should move on. Fair enough, people will be saying that to him because he could have played for any club. But I think he had a vision for Celtic that obviously the people that could make that happen never had. For Mark Manil and Henrik Larson and that squad, I think Seville should have been a starting point. Mm-hmm. We could have really built on that team. That's probably the closest my age group will ever see to what could have been. The Porto team won the Champions League the following year. They did. Very little retouches. The Liverpool team we beat 2-0 at Anfield. They won the Champions League two years after with very little touches as well. Mm-hmm. So I think Larson was right to stay because great things could have been achieved at Celtic. It's a brilliant, brilliant answer. That's what I was asking you. Not I don't just think it was from a, a Celtic of, fan's I, point of view. I don't think it's a case of that these days, should somebody, maybe it's different because the Scot, Scottish football financially has regressed to the extremes that the Premiership has progressed. Mm-hmm. But at that time, I think Larson should have at least been, I don't know, quarter-final, something Champions League, we could have been, who knows. But it was great that night to see him. I remember having a gig at the stand and leaving to find out what the final score had been and somebody had said Larson had changed the game. I remember being... As happy as I'd ever been. It was, it was an extraordinary game. Like they were being outplayed by 10 men, I was there. And, you know, and he has to change the game to a certain degree as well. But the two things I would say is that clearly Larson made that you know, touch for the first goal, that touch on Iniesta's pass that Eto runs onto. But what happened definitely throughout the course of that was his second season and it was his last game. Players, you know, you've been at enough games now where you see other players saying, oh, he's on the pitch now, we're OK, we're in good hands. Might or might not win it alone today, but something's changed. And the right. Barcelona players felt like that about him. I used to go to the games, just be sitting, and no matter what was happening or who you were playing, you're still just going to Henrik's on. It'll be all right. That's, yeah. It's like being out with your mental pal. <laughs> Nobody's going to start with you. Can you imagine <laughs> what it was like for him, though? Because all the time you watched him, yep. it was like if Henrik ran, you gave him the ball. Aye. If Henrik made a move, if he wanted it there, you gave him the ball. But he was never greedy. I remember Harold Bratpack's debut. Celtic Kilmarnock, I think it was four, I think Brat Pack scored the four goals, but he had a howler. He was the only guy I've ever seen have a four goal howler. 
Like Larson made I think, pretty much one of them even stopped on would the line. Would you fly with him now? I believe he's a qualified airline pilot now, Harold. Is that right? Is he, he is, yeah. Would you fly with him? Based on what you saw that day. That's what I felt you were saying. He looks like a pilot. Okay, okay. He always had a bit of the pilot about him. That day, no no disrespect to Harold, but Larson was never a selfish player, he was always. But what am I? I wasn't the best option was. But that's right, because he was a team leader. His decision making, for example. So, if you're that good and you win trophies and you win matches based on your decision making and the team is subservient to you for the right reasons because you do the right things, you resolve problems. And then you go to Barcelona and the system says, the system that you've seen and you understand now, no, you get the ball when we've moved the other team around enough or when Xavi dictates. Because when he came, I'm not, I'm not bright enough to know that it was automatically giving me a success, but he didn't understand the system. He went, hold well, on, I'm in at last and I've just made a brilliant run. It was the right ball to give it to me in Xavi or Iniesta. Maybe it was Ed Milson then. Was, no, that's not how it works. And Eto also, it was an irascible character, wouldn't give the ball to him. What I learned, what he taught me, Larson, was that he just, when he broke his leg in the, in the classical November, he went away and just relearned. At what, what age? I don't know what age it was, 32 or 31. I still or, have that sense of humility on, to go back. I, and the capability to go, I'll just reboot. Yep. So I, I guess it doesn't surprise you, but you know what? You've seen it's the Barcelona system. It's quite a unique career model when you look at even going back to Firenood, having the fallout there, moving to Scotland. Midfielder at Firenood. For that kind of 600,000. And then suddenly, this team in Scotland, as I'm sure that's Celtic were seen as in his circles, whatever, just like moving to the Scottish League as a backward step to then go on to, be, to get to that level, mm -hmm. that you leave and go to Barcelona and then win the Champions League. And then obviously Man United as well. Seville was his biggest disappointment, but I'm asking you a little bit about that I've experience. Also, just to go back to Henrik Larsson, I'm probably the only guy that's got his autograph on a first bus all day ticket. <laughs> there we go. Queuing up the car park. We were up to collect tickets one day, me and my mate Tony, what dogged the last two periods of school on a Friday. Went up and the team were just leaving, I think they'd trained at Celtic Park that day. So we're sort of hanging about and we seen a bit of commotion, it was Larson, so the two sprinted right up. But we never had pens or you never had smartphones at the time. All I had was my first bus all day ticket, Clyde Bank to Parkhead. So I was going, you know the way they just grab one pen and just sign everybody's autograph with the same pen? I'd handed it the all day ticket and he sort of looked at me because he had a marker <laughs> pen. And a first boss all day ticket is pretty narrow, so he's, he had to lean on his jeans, but he, they were light blue jeans and a tiny bit of the ink went off the all day ticket and on his blue jeans. I remember I was stomach churning, I was like, Henrik, I'm so sorry. As if like, I'm ready to offer, like, I'll go to D2 and I'll buy you a new pair of jeans. Can you afford a new pair? Because I'll find the money somehow. He, just, he looked at me and I, he was more, this wee guy took us pretty bad because I was quite a nervous wee guy and he's going, he's, he goes like, it's okay, it's okay. Then he gave me my all day ticket, so we're trying to get back on the bus. But Larson had obscured the date. So. The driver's not letting us on, and my three pals, uh, Tony and the other two, they're up there going, it's Henry Larson's autograph, mate, as if, like, you need to let him on. And the driver's going, Larson, he's, he's shite, I'm a Rangers man. So we're going, we're going, oh, mate, come on, he was only obviously having a joke and he waved us on, but... Only in Glasgow. It was the way my pals rounded round me, as if it should have been... Are you serious? Come on! As if that's valid for a talking week. About, we should be able to drive it home. Can... Let Kevin in the driver's seat, man. Are you joking? Pass, man. So I've, I've still got it somewhere. <laughs> oh, Henrik. You, uh, need, you anyway. need to send Henrik one of yours. You need to sign something and send it to Henrik now, I tell you. Just sign something like a. Send a bus ticket and send it to Henrik. Somebody had passed the story on to him. I bet they did, aye. I don't know, apparently signed a picture or something and sent it. it was when I done uh, ITVs this morning, 
I told the researcher they're asking to look the most anything you've been starstruck and it's still I don't know, you can meet whoever Henrik. but Henrik Arson still. You, you, Child, it, uh, first first hero. It made you bring up Seville. I moved to Spain because of my experiences as a, as a punter Aye. at the 82 World Cup. And it wasn't because I wasn't watching league football, so it wasn't that that made me go back. It was about everything I experienced there. What you've never told me but is interesting to me is about the Seville experience beyond the match, beyond the fact that Celtic were outstanding and cheated out of a trophy. Travelling there, the, the, the heat, the behaviour of the fans, the, 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 the culture, the things that... Well, I wasn't football. going to be allowed to go because I had two exams coming up, which is a fairly valid reason for missing a football match. Except you didn't think of it that way at the time? No. Well, my dad, he missed Lisbon in 67 because he told me for the same price as the bus that we're going to get, the bus food in Toker, down to Lisbon. Down to Lisbon, I'm saying that as if that's a route for Clybank to Lisbon. What buses aren't you get? Um, had, it was a 67, is it? They were taking a bus, and for that same price, they could have had two weeks in Arnold, which apparently that was the Magaluf day. So it was the first lads' holiday or the game. And he went on the lads' holiday. I don't understand that either. But I think he was saying at the time, as a Celtic fan, being in the European Cup final wasn't quite the same level of hysteria as being in the UEFA Cup final in Seville. It was as if, There'll oh, be more. we'll be in next year's ah. jock team. So... They'd done the lads' holiday and they missed Lisbon. Obviously, devastating when we won. Delighted, but that bit of him just going, I should have went. I should really have went. So, 1970, Milan, he went to Milan. We got beat. Fyrnid beat Celtic. And then I think he thought that was it. I don't think he ever anticipated it would be, what, 1973 years until we are in a European final again. So, I think he was going to have me go through the same pain. Basically, his attitude was, these things happen every 33 years under this Celtic team. Who knows? Well, it's, I don't see it for a while anyway. Ah, you know, it's a bit harsh. I don't know. But anyway, he was pretty much keen on live for the moment. You need to take these experiences. This is the stories you tell your grandchildren. And he managed to overrule my mother. Uh, and I missed my maths and computing exam to go to the game. And then we managed to get match tickets and stuff like that. Because I'd, I think I'd been to a lot of the away games and stuff, so I had quite a high priority, whatever it's called, the points you accumulate. We arrived there one in the afternoon, baking hot. I don't think I seen concrete hoops. Everywhere, a couple of Porto fans kicking about, and ain't even ever considered them just buying a Celtic strip. <laughs> um, I just, I, was that, I just never expected this. What was it? What was? Does it not? I mean, like my memory is that whenever you come out of the plane, or it's just, the heat, it was absolutely just, suffocating. Like, that, this heat. is what I mean. People who haven't lived that don't know what it's like. You, you get knocked out by the heat. There's this plus that many people, uh, the, the body heat, noise, that, even if that was in Moscow in that final, it would have been getting Boston. anywhere quickly <laughs> is impossible. Aye. You hear all the accents and the jokes and yeah. the bevy everywhere. It's just it's the only thing we do well at football. It was like the whole city was just, you constantly felt as if you were just leaving the game. Not that way, you're just shoulder to shoulder with somebody the whole day. So it was me, my dad, my uncle George. And my dad's arthritis began to play up pretty bad, so we had to find him a taxi somewhere to get him to the stadium. And me and my Uncle George were going to walk up through the square to the Olympic Stadium. So we managed to find this taxi with only like, three guys getting in. And my Uncle George said, look, can you just take him up? You're all going to the same place, obviously, and we'll just catch you up there. So my dad got in. But then when he drove away, my dad had the tickets, right? So my Uncle George is going, right, he's got all the tickets. We never arranged a place to meet. He obviously presuming we'll just get him at the seat when we get into the stadium. So we're trying to find them. We got to the stadium, we walked up and we're just going, to, how do you even go about finding a guy with a Celtic strip on in Seville? 
were just like, unfortunately my dad had found this big grassy park and just sat in the middle, just hoping we'd see him. I remember just being delicate, I was going, Dad! <laughs> just like ran across, grabbed the tickets, three years went in. But there's people, because he'd, he'd sat down, there's people obviously thinking that was because he was steaming, but he doesn't drink. And people try to pick him up, just going, come on, big man, you're going we'll to get you in, don't worry. I've had a couple too. And he's had to go, I'm fine, I'm fine. So we made it into the stadium. Do you know, two stories, Kate, I was travelling back from Almeria um, this season with somebody who'd been involved with UEFA's security on that day. Was it the Olympic Stadium? The Olympic Stadium, aye, that's right. And he said to me, there's two things that they did made it difficult for you guys, unfortunately. They'd come up with this brilliant ticketing idea, which was like, there was, it was like infrared and 6D and there was computer chips in it. And it aye. was like, the most of they'd used a Spanish treasury to design and print the tickets. But you know there's somebody in the East End coming up with an even more advanced scheme to get the fakes through. The only thing that could outthink the East End was the Spanish system, which went, they said, how many machines will we need to read these tickets for 45,000 quid? One. They had one machine operating for all the tickets they had to scan it through. So I like, well, nobody can get in. There's only one. They can't move that thing around the state. That's all they had. So they started opening doors and letting, just looking at the tickets and letting them in. And at one stage, there was such a big queue of people with tickets that log jam caused by the fact that they couldn't read the tickets. They opened a big door and they looked out and all they could see was a sea of wheelchairs with people in green and white strips outside. It was just acres and acres of wheelchairs like a sort of attack of the killer wheelchairs. And what had happened was the word had got about, I didn't, I wasn't there at the time, and this is the UEFA guy telling me that Celtic fans had found out that there was either reduced or free access to disabled people. <laughs> so they'd gone round the whole of Seville's hospitals, clinics, medical supply shops and bought all the Aye. wheelchairs and wheeled themselves <laughs> up there to get in. And it was like your bus story, but you got to let us in, man. It's, Aye, look, exactly. look, the wheels, we've got the wheels. And as soon as the goal goes in, they're up. <laughs> your beauty. Henrik Larson curing the disabled. Never seen so many Ingen disabled people jump. Ingenuity. No, i never seen that myself. i seen one no, guy. No, but it's characterful. Managed, I managed to get through with a, a fake ticket. He's turning around his mates. What? Going, yeah, as if shouting, they, they worked, they worked. Well, and just heed down and get, get to your seat or find a seat. Uh, I had loads of stories. It was a great experience, especially at that age. I was what, 16, I'd have been. Mm. Used to take in something as massive as that. Did going to Spain that day open up your appetite to travel to watch football? Because Aye, it's just an amazing thing to do, isn't it? Just well, you two in the Bombonera, since I've known you, you've been obsessed by the Super Classico. I remember being a younger on like, Channel 5 and stuff watching. The late night, there's always the Trans World Sport and they would do all the different derbies and stuff. And I remember seeing Maradona in the Bombonera, but the crowd are all singing like Diego, Diego, and he's like, waving. But he's coordinating the whole stand, though it's bouncing as he's like just waving his left hand in there and the whole stadium's just responding to him. It just looked the passion that I don't you get in a lot of leagues. No. Even when you go to Barcelona, it's no, it's not. The football's incredible, but it's still a theatrical experience. Like the guy beside you's like Pulls out a novel at half time and just like, it's still amazing, but you're just. I love watching the Barca family start shouting at players. Mm -hmm. See the way like my dad will shout. <laughs> <laughs> he used to shout at like Tommy Boyd or something, they're shouting at, you know what, mate? Busquets you're shouting at, or Jordi Albert, they're still going at. You can just tell they're going every week with him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except like, in the camp now, they're all wearing sort of suede jackets, ties up, you know, come on. Like, that's not our standards. <laughs> it's not a primeval experience at the camp now, well, is the, it? The Argentinian league. That, it's the passion, because... I want to go and see San Lorenzo next. Why? I've just seen some clips of their fans, and a couple of people were saying, when I was over at Buenos Aires, I need to go and see San Lorenzo. I type in San Lorenzo, Dicen que estamos un cabeza. 
That's the song. It goes on for ages. I think I get voted the best Latin language football chant in some magazine. Oh, my mate was telling me. You know Roberto, don't you? Yeah, yeah, Spanish fantastic man, yeah. Keep me in the loop with all this sort of stuff. They sent me a clip of their fans and it's unbelievable. Well, I, I've watched the clip of them singing River de si me que se siente And it's, it's Te juro aunque pase los años Nunca no vamos a olvidar What a tune. And the whole thing is like, <laughs> you went down, we saw you, we're never going to let you off the hook. Take it. River, tell me how it feels yeah. to have played in the second division. Even though every year that passes, we'll never let you forget. The stain will never go away. Because the game that was the game I was at. It was the Rivers' first game in the top flight. Come back, yeah. So all the Boca fans are dressing up as ghosts. <laughs> like the ghost of Division B. So it's all these guys with white bed sheets with a big B on them. And they're just. Uh, I took my phone out like a tourist. I was just there myself. So it's going to be hard to ever explain what the atmosphere was like unless you get a bit of video. Twenty-first century guy. I felt like a bit of a dick, but I recorded a wee bit of it. And the guys just grabbing me, going, "My friend." And I'm like, like, sing, sing. <laughs> Never like, sorry, mate. Put back in the pocket. And, <laughs> uh, it was incredible. But it is, yeah. I mean, it is, it's primeval. It's it was scary. It was pretty intimidating. Let's see, the day I left the hotel, the day of the Boca River game, and it just had that atmosphere and the baking hot sun, but you could just tell there was something happening in the city that day. Like, it's on everybody's mind. Even the taxi driver, the radio was on. It's some phone in show. You can tell it's obviously team news coming in, and he took me as close as he could get to the stadium. And you just see all these armed cops everywhere. Everyone getting lined up and searched. I had to go through like four metal detectors. And the guy beside me, he's got like 15 rockets in and flares. And you're going, did you not come through the same metal detectors I came through? As long as you've not got a gun, everything else is okay. <laughs> that's about what it is, Aye, isn't it? That's right. Oh, the, the linesman get hit with a bottle and never even told the ref. It just, the game just played on. <laughs> no, no, it was only a plastic bottle. It'd be fair play to him for not hitting the deck, but... Part and parcel. And the ref actually stopped the game as well, the one I was at. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It was 20 minutes. They took all the players off the park. Because of the... Because of the rebuild, they see me cases. They were singing it for ages. It was obviously a premeditated thing. All the fireworks were going off. At this, That's like a certain minute on the clock, they all just went mental. Then the ref's just like... I watched the one footage of the one you were at, and that you can't... All you can hear is that, the noise, and you, you join in the rhythm, but the smoke from the fireworks and the flares, you actually can't see it. You can't no. see the fans. Well, the pitch disappeared, the pitch. Yeah. You can't see anything. So obviously it must have been bad for the, I don't know, the players. Even breathing in gunpowder, imagine trying to play 90 minutes. The gunpowder but, in I mean, there. that tells you something. Maradona's <laughs> a great name, but you weren't there solely for the football. You'd have watched the football if it came along, but Aye. you were there for the, the culture, the, the, the vibe, the fact that the things that you... You know me, Graham. I'm always there for the culture and the vibe. vibe. This is no, true. I, went, I was trying try to write my book. I, I hadn't started it yet. It was getting on a bit, so I thought I need to go somewhere. I don't know anybody. And I'll combine it. So I checked the fixtures. When I walk a plane river, go over there, start it on the plane, and then go to the games. Where next? Apart from Pataudry. I want maybe. to go and see Dortmund. Uh-huh. On my book signing tour last year, I had a hoodie on. It was nothing strategic. I just happened to, you're sitting there for hours, you need something comfortable. I had a Dortmund hoodie, and a couple of people were obviously getting pictures of me at the signings and stuff and tweeting them. And I think somebody copied in a Dortmund supporters club that were going like, nice hoodie, Kev, and all that. And then Dortmund's really? official Twitter followed me, so I followed them back. And they're just going, love the jumper. Anything you want to come to a game, let yeah. us know. So I'd love to go and see that. I think their displays are always great yeah. in that big stand, the biggest stand in Europe. Yeah. I'm just ashamed Jurgen Klopp's away. I'd love to have went to see them under him, but they've had a difficult year, eh? Yeah, but I mean, I think in all honesty, if you, I've, I've been there for club games and a national game. 
and the stadium is extraordinary, but people behave differently there. Yeah. Tuchel is, is obviously a more calm character than Klopp, but the stadium, you're gonna have, I think you're going to have the same experience. The new managers came for the same club that they got Klopp from, is that right? He, he, and he's got similar ideas about how football should be played, and he's a bright guy, maybe his career could have been bigger as a, as a football player. It's stand out in terms of his performance. Tuchel, or Tuchel is his name, is, and I've seen his teams play, nothing else. The, the thing you would worry about for your experience is maybe I'd be really concerned about Royce going now. What they're going to have to do is get in this cycle now of completely starting again. Everybody's going to say, OK, it's my turn to start a new cycle too. I, I'll be off as well. And at the club, because if you remember when, when Klopp first came, he turned players who, who were in the reserve side or who were going out of the team. Or he saw things in players that, that even his, you know, Zork, his general manager and the scouts didn't see. So he brought his own vision to the building of the squad. So Tuchel's coaching credentials are obviously really high, but how, how you rebuild, yeah. I, I don't know. Like, for example, you've not seen your team nearly relegated, but, you know, the times at Pataudry where, you know, the fans that I love and the team that I love, when it got its most heated was when under Roy Aiken and we were nearly relegated. And I went, every man in the barricades. And I know that sounds a bit silly about Pataudry, but that's what it felt like. That's what it'll feel like at Stadium. Stadium. I don't know if I'd like I quite like that. It was Team Celtic in a wee relegation battle just for a change. It was the, all the all the passion and the people around you that you want to wake up and you want to look at your fellow fans and say, <laughs> get a bit passionate, get get in there. And, and it happens because of the fear factor. And it was it was mad to see because I want to win trophies. But that season when we nearly went down and, and we, we beat Dundee United in the mist and these images of Stuart McKinney and his wee vest and all that and the relief and was that. It, did Aberdeen play Fissel in a playoff? The one, the one that I'm talking about, we were, oh, we, you, we were left with United. We, United. we had to beat I mean, United. I remember that listening out on the radio. And we were unsure about Roy Aiken, obviously, because of it, you know. He, was he there because he was handy as an assistant coach? Or does he really care about us? And we got what Celtic had always got, which is full on, and he changed the attitude. I, I don't want to see my club, my team, in difficulties, but that season it just... That have been a lot more right, though, this year. Yeah, it'd be nice to win now, I think. It'd be nice to win now. I would say, yeah. That's exciting, though. It's good to see. We've got one or two yeah. nice young players, and it'd be good to see Scottish football with talented players of technique, which is why I started asking you about um, Barcelona, because I want the people growing up in Scotland to, to value the touch and technique of the Spanish footballers and well, I think play I, like that. Can, my dad's the same. Cannot speak highly. Uh, La Liga. And I think the more the Premiership becomes overexposed and just overhyped and, and too rich I can see why it's the selling point because the games like Chelsea will go to Burnley and drop points and that's quite cool but do you want to watch that? How, how dull is that? We did this experience once before and it was with Gary Neville and Gary represents maybe the best of English football over our lifetime winning you know a winning franchise a blend of players who could really play like gigs and schools and whatever Beckham and then guys who, who worked hard and were brilliant teammates and were committed and all that stuff. He talked about only having seen the Premier League through the players' eyes. And now that he's an analyst, you know, he's got fears for the, the skill deficit, the intelligence deficit, the, the craft, the ability to match the elite of English football with the elite of most of the major countries in Europe. And therefore, he would still see it as a really entertaining product. But he's beginning even to talk about it in terms of maybe not quite pantomime, but it certainly isn't elite yeah. definitely. It's still great, I'll still watch the games, but just the technique and the, you stick on Malaga, Villarreal, sometimes you'll have a Super Sunday 
you'll watch the 12 o'clock game, the 2 o'clock, the 4 o'clock, and it's like the Spanish league comes on, it's like your fifth game of the day, you're just burnt out by watching the games. But it, sometimes it's the best game. No, the Spanish one at the end, because you just start seeing fast passing and a couple of guys you've never heard of. I'm just going, who's that wee guy? Who can beat like, a man or who can make a killer pass? Rather than somebody you're just sick of the sight of, Sky Sports News the whole week, hearing about his hamstring and will he make it and sat and fed up with the guy's face and then you discover well, new we'll players and... We'll finish. On, Aye, and you need to be careful, but you need to understand. My lack of knowledge has been exposed here amongst we'll, the pro. We'll finish, no, we'll finish up. Only on. one man in this room has been coached by Jose Mourinho. That's right. Did you make your peace with him after Seville? And did you see a different side of the Jose Mourinho that I saw when he was the Real Madrid manager and he was caught up in Machiavelli and stuff? He was, a real, he was, a, he was an angry man in those days. The soccer aid thing, that the offer came in. Uh, my agent phoned me up and just goes, do you play football? And I was just going, well, I play about a five-a-sides at Goals in Drumchapel. What do you mean by football? And he's going, eh, it's basically soccer aids every two years and they're looking for like, the rest of the world, celebrities and ex, whatever. So I'm always a bit like celebrity stuff. It's like, I don't really see myself as that. Anyway, that's my own sort of Hang up. neurosis or whatever you want to call it. I said, who's playing? I don't want to hear the celebrities. Who's the footballers? He's going to Clarence Seedorf, Edwin van der Star, Yap Stam, <laughs> Alessandro Del Piero, Andre Shevchenko, <laughs> coached by Mourinho. And he goes, they'll need you for training for four days and then the game on the Sunday. And I'm going, wow, obviously I'll, obviously I'll play. I've never been on a living side pitch before, except for a few daft kickabout games and other comedy festivals and stuff. So I signed up for it. You're thinking, like, surely Mourinho's not going to show up every day. So we got there on the Monday, it was a welcome night. I get in the lift, I dump my bags in the hotel, get told the penthouse of the hotel was the welcome drinks night. Dump my bag, get in the lift. The lift door opens and I went to walk out, presuming it was my floor. And it was Mourinho and his assistant kind of looking about a bit lost. And I was like, I never knew what to say. I was just going, Josie. And he goes, are you going to the penthouse? And I was like, yes, mate, the soccer aid, because I had the polo shirt on. And he's in the lift, just kind of, I was like, looking forward to this week. And he's going, ah, yeah, it should be fun. It's a bit of small talk. I thought that would be the last I would see him, but the mm. next day, he's there every day, training, first guy there, mm. doing the training drills. I had quite a tight hamstring, right? So I had to tell the physio that I'd been trying to get fit for it, and then trying to get fit, I'd end up even less fit. I'd pulled a muscle or Too whatever. Much. So I get told I had an underactive glute, and I couldn't train. <laughs> an underactive glute. That's something my mum would call me when I was refusing <laughs> to get out of bed. So I had to get acupuncture and... <laughs> It was a uh, Fulham's ground, Fulham's training ground, so the physios are like, putting needles in him. Even the novelty of that, like in Jamie Redknapp, he was getting treatment, there we go, stereotypes, he was getting the treatment beside me. So I'm on the treatment table and just, wow. A bit of years going, right, the novelty of getting treatment wears off pretty fast when Mourinho's out there taking a training session. So on the last day I managed to get training mm -hmm. and I scored a goal, right, but it was only because, I'd, well, I'm maybe doing myself a discredit, in the training Mourinho was like, showing us how to take an offensive corner, right? Uh-huh. So, well, how to take it out. Basically, offensive corners and defence. We're working on the defence and then a corner was coming in. So I was in the team, like the non-bib, so it's our team's corner. Mm -hmm. So he's telling me where I have to be. Mm -hmm. He's showing me these notepads and stuff, but it's, I'm like, I can't believe you're talking to me, mate, <laughs> rather than following his instructions. <laughs> so I never knew what to do, right? So Seedorf's <laughs> taking the corner and I'm going, how do you, what do you say when you're looking for the ball? It's not like goals on a Tuesday night in Chapel <laughs> shouting Craigie or something. So I'm going, what do you say? So I'm going like, eh, 
Clarence, before it was even up my mouth, he just zinged this past to me. And it was coming far too, I'm panicking, I'm not going to be able to control this. So I, I, only because I hadn't followed Mourinho's instructions, I'd came <laughs> short for the corner rather than go to the edge of the box. It's just knackered to even get into the box. So Mourinho, he must have thought I went against him. But I, maybe I liked that, I expressed myself a wee bit, right? So I've shouted Clarence, he's knocked the bottom of me, so I feel like I kind of angle just to the right of the goal. I've kind of curled it up and it's been, I've just hit it because I was panicking about being <laughs> unable to control it. So I've just put a toe through it, but it's been right up. Oh, what like a Beckham right in the side net on the far away goal in the net everybody's cheering God I swear to God this happened God I know it seems I think it was on the highlights package right? on the, the build up show they're all applauding Mourinho's going where has that been all week my secret <laughs> weapon <laughs> I can't believe it and Clarence is giving me a high five good nice goal man but I didn't want to tell them obviously so in the canteen afterwards Van der Sar walks up and he goes uh, nice goal man and I was like oh, cheers Edwin and he's going uh, it's hard to read the mishits <laughs> you big prick. <laughs> you know, so I mentioned the two Nakamura put by him and I was laughing. But anyway, I sat beside Mourinho on the bus up from London to Manchester on the day of the game. Where you play at Old Trafford. Old Trafford. So on the Saturday, it was funny. Lost. Mourinho was telling us that anybody that's late on the bus at Chelsea, they just get told to get a taxi. The bus leaves on time, no matter where they... So we're waiting for ages. And everybody knows who we're waiting on. Mourinho, he sits at the back of the bus, which I quite liked. <laughs> rather than the gaffer at the front, one of the, like, the BAM fans sits up the back. So he's going, who, who are we waiting on, man? Fucking hell, who are we waiting on? And it turns out it was Adam Richman for Man vs Food. Okay. So he walks on and Mourinho sees it was, he's going, fucking hell, I thought we were waiting on Maradona. <laughs> so like, he's quite sharp, but uh, I'm sitting, it was, I was on like, the aisle seat, he was on the RIL seat. So it's like a five hour bus journey and we just get talking about, became like a Q&A sort of thing, just mm. asking him about, I was showing him my football manager on my iPad. <laughs> I was managing a wee non-league team called Workington in the Blue Square North. But it was in like season 2035, so I'm showing Mourinho. And he's laughing. And I was like, look, they've shown him the news and they said they'd built a statue of me and all that sort of stuff. And he's going, 2035? I'm like, mate, I'm a legend. I'm showing him what <laughs> the history. I'd won five European Cups. How many of you don't know who's in his life? <laughs> Then I, was, I was showing him my tactics and how I like to t keep the team like pressing, keep the passes short. Mm -hmm. And then he's asking me if you're playing pressing football, the players need to be fit. I'm going, of course, man. Like, you're talking to a guy that's won five European Cups, Jose. <laughs> but showing him all the players' stamina is at 20, that's the highest attribute. And then he was just laughing and he showed me his iPad with all, this, with all the match data and stuff for Chelsea that season. And how in-depth it is. Was, but just a real thing, he knew I was into my football and stuff and that, so it was really... Phenomenal, just a gift, He's eh? just enormously very relaxed, hypnotic, I interesting, Aye, definitely funny, intelligent guy. There's bits you're just waiting on him just to go right enough questions because the mayor you ask, you ask him a couple of things and then it's just getting like, what about that game, Jose? And it's now you know how I feel in this situation. I <laughs> felt like a journal, I feel because I'd keep going for five hours if. But no, no, that night I asked him about Seville. It was Martin Comston. I, want, I mean, that's what I wanted to know because if that had been my nemesis. Aye. I would have had words, even if they were sort of oh, aye, definitely. couched gently. I still respect the guy for the one in Portland, done what he had to do. And mm. the thing you can always say is, would you take Mourinho managing your team? Mm -hmm. Of course he would. Mm -hmm. So I'd asked him, well, it was Martin Comston that actually said about Seville, and he was just going, she did never seen men, footballers, as dead on their feet as that night mm -hmm. in the Andalusian heat and extra time. Then he rattled off the whole Celtic team. Still, mm -hmm. He's going, Yas Valgar and Mayalbi. 
Bobo Baldy done that with a sort of tone in his voice as if, oh, I don't know, big Bobo. <laughs> I remember I had a Celtic strip with Bobo Cop on the back. That was quite, quite a unique touch. Anyway, so he's talking about that, just saying how... Bobo, if you're listening, that's out of love that he had that, OK? Because you were a great player, big man. <laughs> I just talking about the heat and just saying, like, when they got the goal and we'd lost big Bobo, then he was just like, get the players. If you're injured, stay down, recover, and just kill the game, basically. So, so he was talking about his players as, as, as being as tired as the Celtic players. Oh, aye, aye. Just no, no, they said that. They said men, 22 players, well, 21 players. Salt in the wounds, so you know, as you were saying, actually, you were as close to winning it as you, as aye, you thought you were. It was tough to listen to, but the fact I still remember the whole team, Neil, that's what he said, Neil Lennon, in the middle, like a fucking dog. That's what he said, <laughs> barking away, man. It was good to hear. But uh, I was amazing just to hear the guy, his assistant, Rui. Rui. Was saying how emotional a night because that was the first big thing they had won together. What the first what, first European trophy, anyway. Mm -hmm. so. oh, it was a great experience. Beautifully told. All right. If Scottish footballers could play like you explain things, we'd be World Cup winners. We've done a lot of laughing. I'm going to finish up to just saying thanks. It's no good to know you. It's good to listen to you, and it's good to share. It's my first time. My first bit of punditry. But it's good to share football with somebody um, that feels about it like you do, because it's how I feel about it too. I think it just it's brings important the, and funny. It brings the wee boy out uh, inside you, doesn't it? And, and even and things like that, sitting with Mourinho and Seedorf, and it's still correct. Like, but and, and we should. Not, I'm not ashamed of admitting that. I admit that's how I feel. Yeah. I'm lucky to be writing about football, talking about football, and it's out of the just still makes me as happy as a kid before Christmas. Of course. Just about any game. Aye. Of so course. is this. So is this. It's been a pleasure, Graham. Listen, the only way I can thank you probably saying uh, up the Celtic. <laughs> there you are. That's me done. And of course, in all the podcasts you've listened to with me, that's the only bit that wasn't true. Come on. You knew that. Up the Celtic. It's only the dandies for me. But that was the right way to say thank you and express love and appreciation to Kevin Bridges, what a fantastic guy he is, good friend, brilliant writer in my opinion, really fantastic writer, writer of comedy but also he's written his own life so far, he swears it's not an autobiography but it seems to be about him, so make your own deductions. If you haven't read or listened to the audiobook of We Need to Talk About Kevin Bridges, do so now, I promise you it's worth it. Um, he's also a born storyteller, really fantastic at that art. It meant that it's another quality hour that I spent talking about football, shared memories. We all hope that you enjoyed it very much indeed. This is what you've got to do. A small way of thanking us is subscribe to iTunes or to Audioboom. If you want to keep up with what I'm doing or who's coming next, you can also go to grahamhunter.tv. Backpage produced this podcast thanks to them. That was Neil and Martin in the background snorting with laughter at something they didn't expect Kevin to say, which was naive of them, I think. Also, a really heartfelt thanks to Beer Jacket, whose music you can hear on the podcast. If you like him, uh, you can go to Bandcamp, or at Twitter you can find him, at Beer Jacket. At Beer Jacket. How appropriate. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.